Welcome to The Shaky Experience. My name is James Richard Lane. Today we'll be speaking volume with Kip Berman of The Natural and The Pains of Being Pure at Heart. But before we do, I want to encourage you to stay to the very end of the episode to hear my product review of Funny Water as well as my festival review of the Underground Music Showcase 2023. Without further ado, here is the interview. Welcome to The Shaky Experience. My name is James Richard Lane. Today we'll be speaking volume with Kip Berman. Kip is an indie musician based in Princeton, New Jersey. He may be most notable for his band, The Pains of Being Pure at Heart, which started in 2007 and have released four full-length albums, a Tom Petty cover album, and a handful of EPs and several of singles. He most recently has been occupying his time with his solo project where he goes under the moniker the natural where he very recently released a new album called summer of no light in september 2023 kip has played many major music festivals including coachella as well he's toured across the world perform late night television the letterman performance is super good i highly recommend it has been featured in countless publications and generally is a very amazing guy like legitimately you just love him. Like, he's just a good person. Honestly, I'm so grateful to have him on. Without further ado, Kip, welcome to the show. How are you doing? James, thank you so much. That was a very lovely intro. And I'm, I'm a bit skeptical of your um, uh, estimation of my, 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 my character, but thank you nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're super evil, like on the DL. You know, low-key, you're just like sinister, but you do really well at disguising it. I don't know. You just have this... No pun intended. I really mean this when I say this. No pun intended. But you have this very pure feel to you. Like, just a very pure, like, wholehearted feel to you. So, I don't know. Thank you, James. I'm happy to be here on the Shaky Experience. uh, And I'm looking forward to chatting. Let's do it. So, you just released Summer of No Light. Talk to me about this album and why the stillness is so addicting to listen to on repeat. How did you do that? You know, it's uh, I I was very fortunate. I got to record this album in London. Uh, with someone who's become a dear friend of mine and someone who, who I've recorded many albums with over the years, uh, starting with uh, Days of Abandon, which we recorded, I think, in 2013, and a later um, an album for The Pains of Being Peered Heart called Echo of Pleasure. And then when I started making solo music, uh, this person sort of, you know, was the person that believed in what I was doing and wanted to work in a new and different way. And uh, so I, I owe a big uh, bit of gratitude to uh, Andy Savers, who's, you know, um, he's worked with a lot of notable artists, um, but he's taken a shine to what I do. And he's been really supportive of sort of this immediacy of recording and recording music live and in the moment and not uh, worrying too much about perfection and just kind of going for capturing the sound of my voice and my songs. Uh, and so this album is a continuation of the way that we worked on our previous album and the EP before it, where essentially I was just in his spot, you know. Uh, he you know set up the mics and we played the song and and tried to get a good take of the song and that was you know with the exception of having to add a little pedal steel by mike slomo brenner who's a legendary um guy based out of philly and he's played with like wild pink he used to be in magnolia electric company in Sons, ohio it was mostly just like a capturing the moment and, and doing our best uh trying to get the song down he yeah. came to me before we did our first album and uh, asked me to listen to a Neil Young record that I hadn't really given a lot of time to in the catalog, but I, I grew to really love called Tonight's the Night. And it was an album that was recorded um, shortly after sort of 
the the tragic death of one of their beloved roadies. And they kind of just went into a recording studio in California and in one night kind of banged out a bunch of songs kind of in honor to this this friend of theirs who had, had died suddenly. And, um, you know, the, you can hear the cigarette smoke in the air. <laughs> Not all the notes are sung exactly as they were intended, but there's a real truthful feel to the music. And while, you know, the circumstances of recording are a bit different for me, like, I, I really wanted to try to channel something like that, a, a studio album that was more or less live without the exactness of like, this is a live record that we recorded on tour or whatever, but just kind of capturing a, a lived in feel to it. Yeah, I would say that the whole album is really great, obviously. I mean, Lucifer's Glory, such a banger. Just how a track can go from happy to sad in like just one single, I don't know, four minutes or so is awesome. I mean, it, it's really interesting and had me captivated to continue to listen throughout the whole album. And again, the stillness is just my absolute favorite. I just uh, such a slowed down. I think Neil Young is a fantastic comparison to sort of that track in particular. I can definitely feel some influence in there and definitely Owen repeat for me. So really enjoy that. Neil Young has such a distinctive voice. And, you know, as I was you know, starting this new project and I was trying to really just do something rooted in myself, uh, I realized that my voice was my natural voice or like the way it sounded like when I sang uh, and projected was a lot different than how it sounded in my own band. And it, it had this uh, very, very nasal quality that I think I had tried to conceal over the years. And I wanted to sound like, you know, Stephen Pastel, even though he sang two, two octaves lower than me or like all the cool uh, or Edwin Collins or all these people that I, were my heroes. And I just wanted my voice to sound like their voice, but their voices were always lower, softer, less, um, less, you know, nasal and, and high. So I think a, a lot of this music has been about just comfort with the way I sound like when I sing. And artists like Neil Young and Bob Dylan, you know, sometimes are slighted for the way they sing. Uh, but I, I find it really inspiring that they found a way to make music and not conceal like the natural timbre of their voice. So uh, I mean, even though I love like Leonard Cohen again, like his voice is like two octaves lower than mine. I have a very, I have a very um, uh, whiny, whiny uh, pitch so, <laughs> to my singing. So, uh, so Neil Young's a big inspiration for sure. I love that. So you now have kids and don't live in New York anymore. You don't live in Philly anymore. Do you think your environment has changed the way that you write songs in modern time, particularly with this new album? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Um, I live in a small college town in the middle of New Jersey. I live in Princeton now. I've lived here since 2016. And, uh, you know, as I do feel that the changes in my life have shifted how I write and how I express myself. That being said, I never felt like Paints sounded like a gritty New York City band. Either. You know, I, I thought there was yeah. something dislocated in our music and our ideals. Like we lived in New York. We were a New York City band, sure. But, um, you know, when I think of bands like the Vivian Girls or like stuff that really feels uh, connected to the experience or like parquet courts, or like what it means to live in like a certain part of like Brooklyn or, or Ridgewood, Queens or like whatever. Um, I also felt like we were kind of not um, a part of that in the same way. And it, and it, for whatever reason, like we were just like, we'd like to sound like we were living in Glasgow in 1989 or something. <laughs> like there was a certain anachronism to us. Um 
And so, yeah, living in a new place has shifted so much of how I look at the world. Um, having a new life, a new identity as, as a parent has shifted so much of how I look at the world. But I think there's like a strange, um, or at least sometimes when I hear someone sitting around here, like ever since I became a dad, I started like growing a beard and writing contemplative songs about like bourbon or whatever. Like, I don't, I don't know if exactly what animates me um, in my music is exactly like growing older and having some perspective on it all, man. Uh, yeah. I feel it's still something, there's still a lot of, uh, for lack of a better word, struggle in in my in my music and coming to terms with myself, my life, and frustration and, 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 and emotional stuff. And it's not like I'm just chill dad with a pipe full of marijuana listening to my Steely <laughs> Dan records, you know? So um, yeah. I'm not sure if like living in New Jersey is like, the reason for that, or if it's like a broader shift in how my life is oriented that has informed uh, the music I'm making these days. Right. Interesting. And the thing that I was really curious about, too, was if these songs that you're writing now, do you feel like you could have written the same songs lyrically, the same structure, the same guitar parts, the early 2010s era, like during the Pains era? Or do you just feel like this is a complete new version of you, a complete evolution? How do you feel this kind of like compares to sort of the evolution within your previous work? You know, it's a little both. I, I might have written some of these songs in the 2010s, but I couldn't have played them, you know? Like a song like Summer of Hell, I think I started writing that in 2012. It could have been on, it was written at the same time as Summer of Dreams. It could have been on Days of mm-hmm. Abandon, I guess. I have old I demos of it, but it just didn't sit right with what I was doing then. And I just didn't have, I just didn't have the ability to come to terms with a song like that and know what to do with it. Like sometimes it would just, you know, something will come to you and you're like, where did that come from? But then when you look at the rest of your songs, you're like, well, you know, it doesn't really sit well with other stuff we were singing about at that time or other sounds we were going for. And and then all of a sudden, like all these years later, like, you know, it made a lot more sense for what I'm doing now. But I think for the most part, I, I think of myself as a slow learner. I, I, I was, like, even with Pains, we were kind of always older than the other bands uh, in, in Brooklyn happening. You know, it's like I moved out to New York when I was, I wasn't like 19, I was like 26, you know, and, and, and you know, everyone was like, oh, you must be teenagers because you sing about these feelings and these adolescent feelings. I'm like, oh, we're really not, <laughs> yeah. man. Like, we're, we're 27. Uh, yeah. So, so I, I think it, it takes me a while to process feelings. It takes me a while to come to terms with things and have the confidence to put them out there in the world. Um, I admire people who can just go out there 19 and be awesome. But I, I assure you the music I was making when I was 19 was not awesome. I'm not even sure if the music I was making when I was 27 was awesome, but um, it takes me a while to sort of gain the confidence or, or, or feel at peace with myself enough to share this kind of music. And also like, you know, a lot of music I made in pains was trying to impress my bandmates, you know, like it, I, I love Alex and Peggy and Kurt. And I wanted to bring songs to band practice that I thought they would dig and respond to. And I learned a lot about music from Kurt and Peggy and Alex. You know, I, Alex was the first person to play me like the, my bloody Valentine that people like the early stuff that wasn't, you know, isn't everything, isn't anything or, or loveless. It's like the early EPs that sunny Sunday smile. Like I'd never heard that band sound that way before. And he played me a lot of other good stuff. We bonded over love and the exploding hearts and stuff like that. And and Peggy and I, like, she'd play me for ex-lovers only and a lot of, like, Slumberland stuff that I didn't know. Like, I obviously knew Eilers set and um, Rocket Ship, but, like, there's other stuff that she knew about and thought was cool. And so, like, 
she shared music with me and I tried to make music that would, that I'd bring to practice. And she'd be like, that's, that's a cool song. And, and especially Kurt, especially on like days of abandonment stuff. Like he introduced me to like bands like Close Lobsters. He introduced me to um, like Aztec Camera, a lot of fancier like indie pop stuff. And I, I remember like with that record, I was really, you know, I was living with him. He's my roommate and I kind of wanted, you know, he's like, He's like a pretty impressive person musically. Obviously, his work with Depreciation Guild was incredible. And, and, the, and the music he made as Ice Choir and continues to make with Ice Choir is just astounding. And the kind of thing I don't think anyone else can really do as well as he does. So there was a part of me that wanted to impress Kurt. And like, so songs like Kelly or, or whatever that had that sort of uh, neo-acoustic kind of sound, like they were they were there to, you know, make Kurt like, be like, oh, this is cool. Let's play this song. You know, there's like a lot of like, I don't know. I, I, I don't have brothers or sisters, but I always felt like sometimes I had friends that felt like cool older brothers or cool older oh, sisters that yeah. would introduce me to stuff. And I wanted to like live up to that level of uh, cool and, and the kind of things I was writing to impress them. But with this project, I feel, you know, I, I think that that was like a really good thing to kind of try to impress other people. And it's not always like a bad thing to do that but like for this i'm just kind of writing the music um i want to hear and it feels connected to my life as i'm living it right now and and hopefully you know hopefully people respond to that i don't really have like a sounding board for a lot of the stuff i'm doing i kind of have to release it and hope people hear it and think oh that's pretty cool song or like oh yeah i I like what you're doing these days Uh, i don't have like a um i really have to be hard on myself because i don't have that audience of like bandmates where i can just be like is this a good song? Is this not? Should we do this one? Should we do that one? <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it. I never thought of it through that perspective is where you have your bandmates sort of help you make the judgment of whether this is like a good or a bad song. But with all that being said, touched on so many points. But for, first and foremost, I think that Days of Abandoned is the best release I I mean, every song on that album is good, in my humble opinion. But also, at the same time, it's definitely interesting, too, that, you know, you focus a lot of time and energy, so it seems, from my understanding, on impressing your bandmates and making sure that they felt like the songs that you were presenting them were congruent to what they wanted to play and just giving them a lot of say and feedback. I think there's a lot of value to that. I would imagine that there's plenty of bands and artists out there that may feel not as concerned or as uh, appreciative of their bandmates as they possibly should. So I I think that that's very noble and something to admire for sure. I don't know if it was noble. I was it's more like I I didn't want them to like stop being in the band. It was more like it was like more desperate. I was like, hey, like I know we've been on tour for a long time and it's hard to be in a band. You know, we've kind of we did a lot of stuff. Like the first two albums we toured about as often as possible. And maybe I was a little, you know, I'm like not like I think I wasn't that fun of a person to be in the band with because I was just so caught up with how unlikely it was that we got to be in the kind of band that got to do that kind of stuff. And I was probably overly appreciative of those experiences at the expense of ever enjoying them. Like I was like, this doesn't happen ever. We have to like do our best and like not, you know, I wasn't, I don't know. I just like had a real fixation of how it's not an imposter system syndrome kind of thing. Uh, Cause I think that's kind of played out as an idea, but it was just like all the bands that we were inspired by, like none of them got to the level that we got to be at, you know, and, and they were amazing bands and people think of them now as big artists and stuff, but, we were having experiences like 
you know, like playing Coachella and Lollapalooza and these big festivals and playing indie pop music, which was always this very like obscure subset of, of, of even indie music that never, that was almost like famous for never being famous. And all of a sudden, like we were getting all this recognition and playing bigger shows and having, getting to work with like amazing people like uh, Flood and Alan Motor, who, you know, when you were like, can we make this sound more like the Smashing Pumpkins? They're like, yes, we can, because we made those records too. Um, or, you know, the Sundays or, or like all sorts of stuff. So um, I think I was very um, like uptight, maybe isn't the right word, but it, it's close to it about wanting to not take for granted the experiences that we were having, um, which made it kind of like not always fun, like in terms of like, I was always like uptight and worried about stuff. So um, I, I, I don't, I don't know. Like it's, it's, it's a tough thing to navigate. I feel Paint was really fortunate in that um, we put out four records, like no one, nothing bad happened to anyone. There was no like band tragedy no one that is like dealing with issue, like profound issues that would affect their life. I think most people are in a pretty good place. Like Alex, Kurt, Peggy, Kristoff. Um, and obviously a lot of other people played in the group and they all seem to be doing pretty cool things with their lives now. So I feel very fortunate that, you know, we kind of got in and out without trending on the internet <laughs> for bad reasons. But, um, at the same time, I, I sometimes I look back on it and realize I was probably a bit too neurotic and uptight to fully like enjoy the experiences that we were lucky enough to have because I was always making sure everyone appreciated it, which is like kind of like a, dumb dad kind of mentality it's like, you better appreciate these experiences <laughs> that deli, the pastels didn't get that deli plate let me tell you it's like uh it's like, it's like a it's like kind of an annoying to be in a band with someone who's always like reminding you of how good you have it or whatever no it's not it's not that's not too fun i guess uh, i don't know kip i don't really blame you for one because you were famous objectively you were in a famous band and you know you were the vocalist so I mean, you were famous and no one can really, I, I mean, is there a book out there that just tells you like what to do and how to act and how to be when you're famous? And then also, is there a sequel to that book when the fame like sort of ends or like slows down? Because I feel like basically the metaphor that I'm saying is I don't think that there's a rhyme or reason. And I think it's probably extremely challenging and very difficult for people to like, grasp that and like just basically know what the right things to do are and like how to act and how to be because like it sounds like what you wanted to do was just you know be yourself and show everyone so much love and gratitude and care and affection and all that stuff yet at the same time it's just like I guess there's some type of like standard or something like that when you're at like a higher level playing these major music festivals and late night television and so forth so I think like there's a lot of challenges but at the same time it's also kind of interesting because you were a lot bigger in the 2010s era which is my favorite music time period personally and a lot of the other musicians I actually wrote down was some of the musicians were Beach Fossils, Wild Nothing, Beach House, Ty Siegel, Blood Orange, Neon Indian, The Drums, Dirty Projectors, Real Estate, all those other bands. And I feel like they maybe were going through a similar time period. And I was wondering if, you know, you had connections with some of those artists and were you able to kind of uh, cope with the transitions that were going on 
during those time periods in your life, like having those conversations or like, wow, this is really crazy that we're getting to play these like major shows or be featured in uh, some bigger publications. Like, how, how are you guys handling this? You know, I know that some artists definitely get stuck in, unfortunately, substance abuse issues and stuff like that, or just other types of issues. But it seems like for the most part, you guys stayed on a pretty good path. It's that it seemed like there wasn't too much trouble in the wind for you guys. And, you know, I might even name that particular time period, like the Michael Sarah era, you know, it's just like the Michael <laughs> Sarah era of time of just the like the era. Sierra, yeah, this year, yes. You know, I watched the WeWork docu series or whatever it was. Uh, it's called We Crashed, and I think it really depicts that time period so well. I don't know. It just it really was a specific time, a specific genre of life that I absolutely am so in love with, and I think that those times are so special. But yeah, I, I guess my question is, what were some of those times like for you? Did I mean other than you know, kind of what? you were saying like sort of being like a look maybe overly protective or just kind of like weary about certain things um was there some favorite memories of you know working with some of those artists and having those relationships and being at those parties and stuff like that sure i mean we were really well i mean i, I think it's you know like i always think about having been in pain so it was like being uh able to use the good toilet at a concert you'd want to be at anyway you know it was like i don't it's like so here at the music festival but you get to like pee in the nice porta potty i guess instead of the the gross porta potty I, i'm not sure uh if that's yeah. exactly it but it was like almost like having a backstage pass to experiences you'd want to be having and it was just sort of oh yeah we were in a band too but like there's so many artists uh that we admired and, and crossed paths with that it would be almost if I, I almost forget half of it now um not forget but like if i were to like list everyone that we came across i, I think one nice. of the things i'm really proud about pains doing is we always took uh when we had a chance to like took like amazing bands we loved on tour with us that we just were fans of and a lot of those bands would go on to do like bigger cooler things eventually but um i remember we took girls on tour early on uh twin shadow we 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 played shows with like veronica falls like i mean even like, like craft spells and obviously the appreciation guild we played with a lot because it was you know kurt's band and you know there was just there was just like a, a from our point of view we were fans of music first and we wanted to celebrate artists that we admired we i mean i think we we definitely did a big Australian tour and the drums were part of it. Uh, Peggy dated Connor who played in Pains for a bit and he played in drums most right. of the time. And he's a wonderful guy. And, and there was a band that like, you know, we, we, we liked a lot and um, Beach Fossils again, like we shared a practice space with Beach Fossils, like Dustin is lovely. And even Anton who used to play drums in Pains, he plays drums in Beach Fossils now. And he was just like on tour with Post Malone. It's like crazy, crazy, really <laughs> cool stuff. You know, and almost- Christoph. Christoph is with Wild Nothing now, I think, right? Like, I think he plays with Wild Nothing. Yeah, and like, you know, that first Wild Nothing record, I remember it came out, I was just like psyched on that. We never got a chance to do shows with them, but I really I really like them a lot too. I mean, there's just like so much stuff where as a music fan, I just wanted to play shows with other bands I really liked. And that was kind of my only consideration for stuff at that time. I remember being part of like a festival in uh, Australia where we traveled around a lot and there was it was like us um a band called Yuck Cults I think yeah. I think M83 was the oh. headliner but it was just like getting to hang out with I got to be buds with like oh oh my god a totally mock yeah like that like, like that dude like yeah. Chaz was like really cool 
um, and his band was really nice. I just remember, you know, it was like you'd like uh, be around those people a lot, but I'm not sure if we had like deep, meaningful conversations about how weird it was to be sort of thrust into sort of doing this kind of weird into music and, and being kind of thrust into the, the limelight, as it were. Obviously, some people seem more like good at it, handling it than like, you know, like that really, really like not chasing it, but like had uh, a sort of like presence as a star. Like I really, I really thought uh, Twin Shadow was just like, oh my God, this guy is like a rock and roll. He was born to do this. He had so much charisma and power on stage and played so magnificently and sang so well and just uh, kind of was embodied everything you'd want out of a certain kind of uh, entertainer, you know? And, and I thought that was really cool. I think Johnny from the drums was also just like a really oh. great uh, oh my God. singer and stage stage oh, um, the best. person, yeah. like front person for a band. Um, if anything, it was like, I was probably like, I always felt like the opposite of that. You know, it's like, I loved writing songs oh and I loved, gosh. but I, I, I never was like, uh, give me the mic. I'm going to rock this crowd, you know, kind of thing. So when I saw artists that really had that, uh, that instinct in them, it was always a cool thing to see. Or like Madeline from Colts had this like killer voice and was just like really, really great. I remember seeing them a bunch on that, that tour and hanging out. You know, I, I just, um, no, I, I don't think we had like serious heart to heart conversations. Um, I always kind of, I don't know if I got didn't party or I kept to myself or like there, I remember there was like one night where everyone in my band went out and it looked like they had the most fun ever in Spain. Uh, then we played Primavera for the first time. And I don't know if I, I, I was probably just like sticking around the festival because I wanted to see Marnie Stern play. <laughs> like, and like yeah, everyone else, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, I was like, I was like, Oh, Marnie Stern's up next. I'm going to go. And everyone's like, we're all going to like do some crazy stuff somewhere. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, but sometimes I was just kind of, I mean, for better or for worse, I was kind of animated by just the love of, the music itself and um i maybe felt a little awkward socializing also i just felt like so so nerdy or whatever it's like or i felt like cut, i was cut from a pretty different cloth than a lot of these people that i admired musically like obviously like some of those dudes are like really easy to hang out with but some of them are like they're very like insular people or they aren't like hey man uh let's talk about like nba trade deadlines i don't i don't know like, there's like, something about like um i'm pretty like from like a pretty middle of the road background and um for, for and, and I'm, I'm grateful for that but some you know it's like it's some of those people kind of were on their own trip and it was like as much as i admired their music it was hard to be like hey man so um on track six of your record i really like that sound of that you get i was like i um, i was just a little little nerdy uh a little bit and like some of them were actually like actual cool guys um but then it's like some of those guys are actually pretty nerdy too once you get to know them too so i, I guess i guess it's uh all you know probably maybe someone confused me for a cool guy at some point but uh i, um, I, think I don't know so. I, I, I was i was very grateful for the times like you know we got to see like the vaselines and like oh, yeah. get to play show with the pastels and just like all oh, these yeah. times our lives inter intersected with these artists that we really admired and, and held in such high esteem i, I just i as much as I love what we did musically, I almost love the experience of getting to see music from the inside out as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Did you ever feel those times would come to an end or did it just feel like everlasting, like this was always going to continue? I don't know. It's hard to have like so much self-awareness. I think I've, I've um, I'm like, I'm like a fan of rock and roll. So um, I'm like a, I'm a music fan. And I do, I do in the back of my mind understand that like, if you are the best big band band in the world, like at a certain point, it's going to be 1963. And even if you're awesome, people don't want to hear like big band music. There's a part of me that understands this. I remember 
crossing the Canadian border once and the, the, the border guards are like, you're in a band, right? You got seven years, seven years. What? And it was a sort of like, and then everyone, moved. it was like a very cryptic kind of thing. I was like, Hey man, we don't have any oranges. Can you just like let us through? Like they're very serious about crossing the border with oranges, the forbidden fruit. Um, no, like, I don't know, man. I, I wouldn't say I was like totally self-aware and like, you know, I, there's, I would have liked to have the opportunity to continue on. Like, but on some weird level, like the fact that like our popularity waned when it did also coincided with like my life changing so dramatically and allowing me to not feel obligated to continue making music as the pains. It was like a really, you know, it's like I, not everything happens for a reason. I, I don't think that explanation is, is very satisfying, but you know, I felt like we got to do all the things beyond my wildest dreams of what we got to do as a band. The fact that like, you know, I had a child and I was moving to a new place and rethinking my life in a really substantive way at the same time that people were kind of like, yeah, I like this band. That's cool. What's the next thing? You know, I, I think that's, it was actually great. Cause if I, we were like, and we're bigger than ever. And now we're going to go on tour with like the Foo Fighters or whatever. Right. I, was like, I think that would have been hard to reconcile at a time in my life when maybe my heart was shifting towards not just like my family and my, my interests as a, as a parent, but just like, a shift in my being that felt really wanting to express myself in different ways. Um, so I'm grateful that uh, I'm grateful that there was like a, a place where I could stop the band um, and feel like good about what we had done and not feel like things had been left on the table or opportunities had been missed. Like, you know, I feel like we did all we could and in like a million timelines of life, like what we experienced was probably the very best version of like what you can do with your friends who can't none of you can really play music all that well at first you know it's like it's like i think we uh our our ability to get to do cool stuff and and share music with people based on the fact that we weren't setting out to do that from the beginning um was was remarkable and i'm just really really grateful that that happened in my life and that people if they remember a band at all like remember it for for good reasons you know yeah, absolutely. And I think it's kind of interesting, too, because isn't there like a nostalgia kind of wave coming in? Sort of like there's that music festival, Just Like Heaven, in California. And I feel like they only select bands that are were popular in the 2010s era. And I don't know, I wouldn't be surprised at all if I saw a The Pains of Being Pure at Heart reunion at like a festival like that, or, you know, something else that might even possibly be worth note is the 10 year anniversary is coming up next year of my favorite The Pains of Being Pure at Heart album, which is Days of Abandonment. 10 year anniversary is next year. And all I'm saying is, I'm not saying one way or the other, but I'm just, you know, I just feel like if somehow there was like even a solo, small East Coast tour of you playing just those tracks or something like that. Oh my God. I think that maybe James, I'll just come to your house and play them for you. If I remember how they go, (laughs) I'll just bring my, my five string acoustic guitar that doesn't stay in tune that I use for teaching preschool music classes. And I will. I can probably get through them okay, but um, you know, I I, I really think that tour would sell out. There is warm feeling out there for 
what we did and what we accomplished. And I'm not like, I never like want to say hard and fast things about music and life, but I, you know, last summer I played a small Norwegian uh, indie pop festival and because the promoter was like such a dear friend of mine and I knew she loved pain so much. I was like, listen, I'm coming all the way to Norway just to do this by myself. Why don't I do like a set of the natural and then like I can play some pain songs like in a oh. fjord the next day. And I, and I did it. Um, but I, I just felt, um, a strange distance from the music as I was playing it. And even though I'm sure it was like, I didn't do poorly or I, I'm sure it like sounded okay. I just felt. Like in my heart, it wasn't the thing I should be doing. And um, I know that sounds like very, I'm an artist and I only want to do what I should be doing. But like on some level, that seems to animate my music at such a basic experience. I need to be connected with, with what's motivating me to feel sincere in what I'm, I'm presenting. I, I um, there was, There's always some pain songs that I love and I, I feel good about, but when I stand up in front of people, I, I want to really feel like I'm not just um, inhabiting a costume or, or putting on a show. I, I really want to feel that like this is me making music sincerely. And I and I know like we go back and forth with sincerity and authenticity and, and artifice and all those ideas in pop culture. And like what's cool is to like be a different play character or whatever. But I really find that for the music I make that the only way to do it um, in a way that feels satisfying to me is for it to be coming like as cheesy as it sounds like from the heart and um, feel meaningful in that moment to me. Um, so um, I, I do appreciate the the kind feelings you have towards, yeah. towards pains. And I, um, and I don't want to like, say I'll never feel like, wow, that would be a wonderful thing to get to do again. Um, but, but for, for right now, um, you know, I think everyone in the band is, is doing good things with their lives and in a good place. So um, we'd have to all have, learn how to play the G chord again, which might be take as well. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'm into that. Was there anything within your music career that you felt like you didn't quite accomplish that you still might like to one day? I feel like literally like Payne's got to do every cool thing. We got to play on the David Letterman show. We got to, um, yeah. you know, play with the pastels. We got to play in Mongolia. We played in Japan. Like, like there was so much like, there wasn't an experience that um, a cultural experience that we didn't um, have an opportunity to do. I mean, like uh, I, I, I really, I really feel like, you know, like I said earlier, like of all possible scenarios in life, like the, the janky indie pop band that just like really liked rocket ship a lot, like getting to go on to play, you know, on television or in Japan or like, um, you know, at, at these big sort of mainstream music festivals was just absolutely beyond anything we could have possibly imagined. So I'm, I, I, I mean, short of Saturday Night Live, I don't think there was like really anything that was like a yeah. possibility yeah. that, um, yeah. um, I mean, teen, I mean, there was a time when bands like that would be, but like, it's not, that's not the world. It was like, I remember seeing Teenage <laughs> Fan Club on SNL, like back in the day and being like, that's awesome. Uh, but yeah, man, we, we, we did, we did it. Um, <laughs> as much as you possibly could and probably far more than we really deserve. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll take it any day. Was your family and friends 
surprise like you know maybe i'm talking more so like friends that might not be quite musicians or in the music scene or anything like that and definitely family too i'd be really curious about were they like surprised nervous excited uh were they like uh what is going on here that my friend my son my relative is on late night with david letterman right now how is this real what is going on well, that was like the nice thing about that is that like our families got to come watch that. Like, uh, I remember Christoph's parents were there and my mom was there and it was like, it was just like a cool thing to be able to like bring the t-shirt that says late night with David Letterman home uh, and give it to my grandpa. You know, it's like, it's, uh, you know, I, I think of anything, like I'm sure like they were surprised. Um, my mom's always been very, very supportive of me. And, you know, if, if my mom wrote record reviews, like that would probably be. Um, a really good thing for my, 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 my career. I was like, she's like a very enthusiastic mom about that kind of stuff. In fact, I, I almost feel bad because I, I, I can't, I have to take everything, you know, it's like I, I play her music and she's like, oh, this is like so great or whatever. And I'm just like, it's not that great. Like, you know, like, chill, chill mom. It's like, I appreciate it. But it's like nice if, it, if it's someone, um, if you love someone, that is probably the right response to it. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think honestly, my family was mostly just relieved because and I, I was kind of, you know, after I finished going to school, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was like living in Portland for a bit. I was like working at a call center at like 3 a.m. Like, wow. I was just like not, there's a lot of ways to live life, but like, I don't think I was, uh, I don't think anyone was like, and Kip's up to good things or like whatever. Like, oh, we're so proud of what he's up to now. It's like, it wasn't a narrative. There wasn't a good narrative to tell people at family gatherings, like what I was doing. I moved to New York. I was working at like a, uh, a, an office and it was like, it was, it was all right. And it was, it was good. But again, it wasn't like, oh, like we don't have to worry about Kip now. Um, but, and then once again, I'm in the same position where it's like, oh, what's, you know, I, I feel like I could, I could use a, a few W's to, to put, you know, family, family, family members at ease that I'd be okay. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. yeah so I, I think that my family's always been supportive and like never been like stop playing music, but I think it was also very unlikely that the music I was making would ever be seen as like legitimate music. And uh, that's, I'm sure it's, it's surprising to me as well. That kind of segues to our next topic of conversation here. I would love to dig into uh, some of the old discography and, uh, you know, just maybe like a couple of words or phrase or maybe a sentence or two per song, just anything that comes to mind, really. And I'll just name off a few of these songs here of your old songs and just whatever your thoughts, feelings, emotions, whatever you feel like saying. We're going to do it in chronological order from your albums. So obviously with the debut album, Contender, an incredible opener to an album. Like that is just such, I don't know, that was really just like your intro to the world. Yeah, what was what was your thoughts, feelings going in with that song? Well, that's basically what I just told you about. I wasn't, wasn't doing much with my life. I'd see, I was living in Portland working at a call center late at night and there was this amazing band, The Exploding Hearts, who were really like onto something really special. And I was just playing in a band that people, you know, where it was like, that's like just a crappy Strokes cover band or whatever. And I was like, no, it's like more like Modern Lovers. But maybe it was just the Strokes, you know, uh, the Strokes are cool. I'm down with it. But uh, it's kind of seeing like your life sort of slide out of reach and uh, your dreams kind of, you feel like your dreams are never going to come true. And like you see it happening for someone else and, and, and rightfully so. Like people that were really righteous and cool and really had something special and you're just kind of 
you don't have anything going on in your life and you feel feel down about that. So uh, kind of, uh, yeah, like seeing your life in relief to greatness. Love that. Come Saturday is to follow that. And that is just the most like screeching, like just loud in your face, like music. It's, it's fun. It's chaotic. It's crazy. And it's just like the perfect song to get someone like energized and like feel really good. Yeah, that one, that one's a, that's like a, maybe like one of two guitar solos in a, in a pain song. <laughs> it's like, it's sort of like, know yeah. thyself, but like steer clear of, 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 of shredding. Um, but man, I, come Saturday, it was just like a, a feeling of like euphoria. You know, I, I was living in New York. I was seeing someone at the time who lived in, uh, Philly and I didn't really get to see him that much. And it was like every few weeks or whatever, they might like, you know, come visit on, on, on the weekend or I might go down there on the weekend and get to hang out. And it's like really exciting when you, when you don't see someone for a long time and you do get to see someone and it's, uh, it's, it's expressing a kind of a euphoria in the moment. And, uh, hopefully it sounds like what I'm saying, you know. And one of the strangest storytellings in a song that I've ever heard is the last song on this album that I kind of wanted to bring up, which is this love is fucking right or this love is right. And it just, I don't know, the story behind it has always puzzled me. And I was wondering if you could enlighten. I probably don't even remember. I, it was maybe just like, I think it was more conceptual than like specific. Like when we were starting out the band, you know, like I, I have, I, I, I love, you know, a lot of indie pop and stuff, but we really wanted to do something almost in opposition to the sort of the received notion of what like indie pop was like really polite, like gentle. Um, and, and it was sort of like a response song to the field of mice. This love is not wrong, which, you know, it's like, it's a really classic indie, indie, indie pop track, but we kind of wanted to be the opposite of that, like more emphatic in your face, like sketchy, like, uh, like yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know how to say it. It was like sort of like the opposite of like sort of this twee stereotype and like, um, be, have excitement in our music and excitement in our lives and like, um, not this super passive bookish, uh, perspective not this love is not wrong oh my gosh this love is not wrong this love <laughs> is fucking right it's like the opposite of that and trying to be kind of like hey, i don't know maybe this like relationship is a little sketchy and we're kind of about some bad things but it's like kind of also cool so yeah um, yeah so i i mean i don't i don't know if if if, if it means more than just sort of like a, a repudiation of like what we felt came before and like and there was other bands that obviously had like stood for this this sound and like one of the bands that inspired us was Manhattan Love Suicides out of Leeds and they also had this really like in your face noisy aggressive um like in vision of indie pop uh that wasn't just all like let's sit in our bedroom and cry all the time you know I I, I mean that's cool too I mean sitting in your bedroom is <laughs> fine I'm not like in in retrospect it's like maybe we're a little too like um maybe no uh, I. I, I feel it. I, I feel it. I think that it was, again, a, just an album of energy and like chaos and fun all like infused into one release and I don't know, really good stuff. And you followed up with that with Belong and Heaven's Gonna Happen Now, another just, I don't know, ass kicker, just another song that just really 
hits super hard. Definitely a different vibe from the first album. Heart and Your Heartbreak, obviously on there as well. The music video on that looked really fun. Looked like you guys are just jamming and having a silly time in the music video. And then also the third track on there that I wanted to mention is My Terrible Friend, which I think that you played on the late night show, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, when I hear that, I guess, synth, for some reason... It makes me think of the Office theme song. I have no idea why. I don't know why, but I absolutely love it. And you know, I mean, what's going to happen now? I, I, I mean, I think if anything, Belong was an album that uh, centered around immediacy of experience and not overthinking stuff. I think the first record was like full of sort of reflections upon the past, but sometimes in reflecting upon the past and retelling those stories you can offer sort of like perspective on them that makes yourself look clever or sort of cooler, sort of a kind of a staircase wit when looking back on things and you can make everything make sense and you can make yourself sympathetic in ways that may be like from a writing perspective, like interesting, but maybe from uh, not entirely fully honest. Um, and, And with Belong, I wanted to get a sense of just, immediacy and like the feelings in the moment and it wasn't about like being dumb on purpose but more just like speaking to the sensation of the the immediate experience and heaven's going to happen now it's kind of like stop yeah i mean there's some lines about like writing in your journal and all your real friends are words or whatever but there's also this sense that there's something more to life than just that something more than just sort of this like bed sit indie or like i'm gonna dear diary today i was this or that like there's something about you have to go out and live life and and feel things in the moment for better or for worse. And I, I think that's yeah. kind of throughout um, the record. Like it's kind of, it, it has songs about sex and uh, narcotics and, and things that aren't just like, let's go to the library together and, and hold hands. Um, right. And so, like, and, and, and um, let's see. So Heaven's Gonna Have a Now. And the second song you said was uh, Heart and Heartbreak. Yeah, that, that's actually the, the song we video. played on the Letterman show. It wasn't my terrible friend. Um, oh. But uh, yeah, it was, it was sort of that same, I don't know. Yeah, it's like these these songs that are kind of about catharsis of, of loss and like just kind of wallowing in the experience, but like feeling this, actually feeling the sting of of of, of those experiences. And uh, my terrible friend, I mean, that song, I always felt like we probably recorded it in the wrong key. It was a little too low for me to sing. Um, when we played it live, I like we played it in G, but we recorded it in E. Um, it sounds dumb, but I always feel like my my voice is like really like, what did you do? <laughs> when I hear it now, I'm like, I always thought that song had so much potential as, uh, and I and we just didn't quite. I mean, that might just be my two cents, but I just felt like we never quite uh, got the the recording didn't turn out quite as the way that I thought it could have it could have done, and I think we we're just like didn't know like. Like oh, we should have just play the song a little higher, a little at this speed or whatever. But um, it's a it's a, it's a song I like a lot, and we'd always play it live. It's just like for some right. reason the recording on the record never quite gets there for me. But um, that's that's like my weird like you know looking back at it from like oh it could have been better. But for the most part, <laughs> most stuff I'm like a lot of the songs on that record sounded way better than they should have because of um having a lot of having access to working with someone like Flood and like a song like The Body where it's just like that song yeah. was like one way when we were playing it at in the practice space but then like working with him and he kind of was like hey maybe we should have like this like pulsing bass idea here and it's like oh yeah that like totally transforms what it is now it's like this i wouldn't say it's like a club song but it has like this total like like new order kind of energy to it that like yes. i don't think we would have sorted out like on our own um so yeah i mean like i i, I really 
I'm amazed listening back to that album that we got the chance to work with and flood and and, and Alan's Alan Motors mix was beautiful and just like when we heard the record back when it was done we we're just like holy shit this is like this is like way more in fact I was like I don't know I remember like playing an in-store and I felt like we didn't do a good job like one of those in-store concerts I was just like oh it kind of sounded crappy and they, like then they were playing our record on the stereo like after we played but I didn't realize that it was awesome I was just like we, I wish we could sound like that band like, like in, before I realized they, they were just playing our record I was like, I was like, that band sounds cool, you know? And then I was like, oh, wait, that's, that's our record. We should practice a little bit more. So it sounds like that when we play live. (laughs) But it was like, one of those moments I was almost hearing it without realizing it was was you. And you're just like, wow, that sounds like they recorded it really. Like the guitars sound cool. You know, it's like, there was like this, you're almost um, disassociated from your own work a little bit. When you get to work with people in the studio that can shape what you're doing in these really powerful and living, moving ways. Yeah. And you always have those albums with you when you perform live till this day, I've noticed, which is something I really appreciate for the fans that just still want those albums on vinyl. I I just, I don't know. I think it's really cool, honestly. Well, Slumberland's really good about keeping it in print or like trying to find a way to keep it in print. Like it's, 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 there's a while where they weren't around, especially Belong was super hard to find. Uh, cause like I think there was like a warehouse fire where a lot of them got destroyed. And then like the label, one of the labels that put it out went out of business. And like it was just like this weird, complicated thing. But now I think like Mike Schulman, that Slumberland has the rights again. So hopefully if there is demand for it, he can press up copies and, and people can hear that music. I'm, I'm very, I mean, if like, again, like the chance to work with like someone like Flood and Alan Mulder and like James Brown was the engineer of that session. James Brown, like he's like the Foo Fighters engineer now. It's like these wow. people are like some real heavy hitters of like making big, beautiful rock records. And I, I really thought for what we were going after, they were the people that allowed us to sound, realize the sound that we were going for. I think it would have been hard to and do it just um, without without their insight and their experience. That's cool. That's awesome. So to follow Belong, obviously my favorite album came out, Days of Abandonment. Um, just such a good album, start to finish, every track, even the, I guess the B-sides or the unreleased songs or the released songs later were really good as well. Art Smock. The lyrics in Art Smock, like just the lost and found was in there. Just, man, so, so good. Absolutely love it. I watched a live performance of you on YouTube, of you performing it in front of a crowd, acoustic stripped down. And just even that was fantastic. The music video for that is awesome. Simple and sure, obviously, such an absolute banger was in the Hershey commercial, which can't forget that. Just, I don't know. That's when I heard that for the first time or like saw the ad for that, I was like, what it was just the craziest wildest weirdest yet coolest thing and let's do one more i mean really any of them any of them at all uh but life after life maybe gives you goosebumps it's just the just such a beautiful like song of like it feels like death and it's just like thinking about like the next chapters, the next moments. And obviously the asp in my chest is got to be thrown in there too. What do you think? Well, first off for the Hershey's commercial, that was uh, really cool. Cause like, if you're going to get a song in commercial, like a, a candy bar commercial, it's like pretty sweet. <laughs> uh, literally. And like my, my grandma was always just like, did they send you free Hershey bars? I was like, no, but like, I like Hershey bars. I'm, you know, I'm from, from Pennsylvania. I went to Hershey. And you're Park from Pennsylvania, exactly. Yeah, it, it felt like one of these things where you're like, oh, no one could be mad about us for like being like having a song in a Hershey's commercial. And, and like literally, it was like on all the time. And like every time, my grandmother would send me like, an email. It's like I heard the song in the commercial again. And I was like, yeah. 
that's pretty that strange. was like a really cool experience um i, I you know I, I have some hang-ups with like certain uses of music in certain contexts whatever but like chocolate bars i i, I don't think anyone has a problem with chocolate bars that's um great. Yeah. It, that one feels like pretty like cool um let's see art smock you know i mean it was you know it was like strange you know when i was uh putting out that record like a really good friend of mine wrote like the the bio for the record and he was like wrote this bio that was, you know, really good, but I didn't really want to hear it. You know, he was like, this isn't, this is a breakup album, not of a relationship, but of a band. And I was like, no, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, you know, between Belong and and, um, uh, Days of Abandon, you know, like the people that originally been in the band had left. And I mean, Alex and Kurt still played on the record, but they left the band after they did the recordings and Peggy had, had pieced out a little earlier. And it was just like, I was going through like that experience wasn't sudden, you know, like when I was writing the songs, it kind of felt like everyone was kind of like ready to like uh, not do it anymore. Um, And that was like really, that was really hard on me because it was kind of like my dream and like, but that's kind of what it was. It was like my dream, you know, it wasn't everyone's like dream to do for like the next five years or whatever. And so it was like hard to lose all that. And I, I think like I, I wrote a lot of songs that kind of dealt with breaking up, but like not from a romantic relationship, but from like that's kind of emotional bond of being in a a band together. And uh, there was even I wrote like a lot of songs to that record. I I, like most of them didn't obviously make the record. And I I still kind of feel like I wonder if like there's a pure version of that record, even that would have been even more full of like woe and anguish, but like probably for the best that like we didn't like there were some other songs that like were just like even more like explicit about like that kind of stuff. Um but yeah, Art Smock was kind of I don't know, it's it was it was a it was a it was like dealing with people's like life other people's lives changing and then like not being able to get that yourself, you know, and, and, and now obviously like it's like you can be like, oh I totally get it now. But like at the time it's hard to see people like choose other things in life and, and want to do other things when you thought what you had was special. I mean it's kind of like a song like Ducky might sing to Molly Ringwald or something like that. Like or, or something where you're like want to keep this like insular subculture, this friendship or this us against the world kind of thing. And then then people are moving on and finding new ways of, of existing and stuff. And then, and then it's hard. I, I, I really, I also like that song a lot. I wanted to put it first on the record. Um, yeah. It was not a popular, like the guy that, uh, Andy was just like, you can't put this like super sad acoustic song first after like belong, you know, but it was, it was almost like it works so opposite. perfectly. So, I mean, and I, I just, I, f- I felt really good about that song and I wanted to have this like open mic night kind of feel like a song that you could learn to play and go to your like local open mic night and play it like, yes. like with like two fingers or whatever. I, I don't, I don't know what I was on about really exactly with that, but I had this, this idea of um after all the belong stuff where so much production and equipment was necessary for us to get like the sound and play shows. I wanted a kind of feeling for the record that you could just play it with some acoustic instruments at a coffee shop and it would still make sense. Um, you know, I, and, and so I think that song was probably like the best realization of that, that idea on there. Um, the other songs you mentioned, which were uh, simple and sure. Yeah. The, the, the Hershey's yeah. commercial was really cool. That song was yeah. actually like, I don't know. We had like done some touring with the drums and I was like, uh, I was like, man, I wish we had songs like, that was sort of like the pains version of doing the drums kind of a little bit. Like, oh, I don't yeah. know. It's like, it, it feels like it has that. I, we were, you know what it was? It's like when we were writing that out, al- when I was writing that album, like Connor from the drums was playing, like Chris Steph had left the band for a little while to focus on some other stuff. And Connor was playing, going to play guitar with us. So I was trying to write songs that were more what I thought was in his wheelhouse of how he liked to play guitar. And I'd only seen him play guitar and the drums. 
So songs like Life After Life and Simple and Sure were like, oh, well, if Connor's going to be playing these parts, like let's play parts that like that are sort of that like single note runs and stuff like that, that had that surfier kind of feel. Uh, so like, I think a lot of songs on the record were kind of kind of written thinking that like Connor was going to be in the band recording, but, but, but uh, like, you know, I think at, at some point, like, Christoph came back and played with us again. Um, but yes, yeah, so like Simple and Sure was definitely like, like if the pain, if the pains played a drum song and, uh, but wow. it was cool. I, I played, I played that song to my wife at our wedding. Um, I, I thought that was really a, 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 a good song for that. Um, and then Life After Life was just kind of like, it was like, written towards myself like as if i was the other person like frustrated with like what it meant to be dating someone like me and it was like about like uptightness or something like that or, like my unwillingness to experience actually admit like who i was and what i was wanted out of life and i was like too conventional and too like outwardly like rigid and i was it was sort of like a song of like romantic frustration towards myself or maybe it was about like I don't know, what was I reading at the time? I was probably Jean Genet, like Our Lady of the Flowers or whatever, which was like obviously like drawn on a totally different set of drag queen in France after World War II, um, dealing with like sheltering a murder or whatever. Like that's like a very different life than my own. But yeah, it was sort of like a song of like what it would be like to be frustrated at myself from another perspective. Um, wow. And then the aspect of my chest uh, was... Beautiful. Um, beautiful song yeah like it's sort of like I, I i don't know like our band had this manager who was like really great in a lot of ways and like opened up a lot of possibilities for us at, uh to work with certain people and and have certain experiences but also was like a little it was just like this we he and i just like had like a very unhealthy dynamic of you know i i think i expected it's hard when you care so much about something and realize that someone else can never like care about it as much as as you do and I think I was like overly reliant on hoping other people like would love what I loved the same way. And I think I was like often disappointed, but it wasn't other people's fault. I think I just had like too much expectation that if like a band was like my, my dream and my uh, desire, like other people, like at a certain point might be like, yeah, that was cool. But now like we have other things to do or like other you know, places to be. And uh, it was like sort of all encompassing in my life, but maybe not in other people's lives. And it was sort of like that, that sense of uh, uh, disappointment and in, in feeling that way at times. But, um, you know, as obviously I'm older now and I'm like, you know, what, like that's still like pretty good that anyone like gave us like fucking Flood's phone number. You know, it's like, it's like <laughs> really, really cool. And, and even my relationship with Andy Savers was uh, made possible by him because he introduced us for Days of Abandon. And Andy's someone I work with to this day and I, I value as a friend and a collaborator in my music that I'm doing now. So um, that record was, I like that record too. Um, it obviously, you're rare in that you hold it in like a certain regard. Like most people um, like our, like our, the first record or the second record and that out, that was kind of like a weird left turn of this band that, I think people expected to be singing about like teenage ennui and noisiness, like makes this sort of weird acoustic mm. record of whatever it is about, um, like about their own like disillusion. <laughs> so I, I, um, I'm glad that you hold it and, and like it. And uh, it's, it's, it's always nice to be reminded that people do because when it came out, most people were, you know, you don't like hear it so much, but you kind of hear it. <laughs> like when people are like, mm, I, I think 
there's a level of evolution though. Like all bands need to go through evolution. All bands need to grow at some extent as well. And I feel like that's kind of what that record was, in my opinion, was just like you getting older. Oh, guess what? I'm getting older as well. So I felt like in a way that I was growing with that record in a, in a sense. And, um, just the album cover itself is like really beautiful too. Like the album cover alone, like you just look at the album cover and you're like, I have to have this, but I feel like unfortunately I took up enough of your time here. So maybe. I'll probably have to get you down the road again or something like that. But I am I'm so always happy to speak with you. And actually, it's good because I actually have to go pick up my children from school. Um, I love speaking about music with you. You're a very thoughtful and kind person. So uh, thank you for always being so supportive and so thoughtful about the, the stuff I do. And it's it's cool. It's cool to talk to you always. So thank you very much. <laughs> awesome. I'll, t- I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye. All right. Having Kip Berman of The Natural and The Pains of Being Pure at Heart on my show again is an absolute pleasure. Kip was on my show in 2021. That interview is really, really good. And this interview that we just did is really, really good as well. So I am so grateful for Kip's time. And also his new album, Summer of New Light, is fantastic as The Natural. It's got great reviews online and yeah, just really good stuff. Check it out. The Stillness, awesome. Glass of Laughter, really good, as well as Lucifer's Glory. Many, many good songs on that album, as well as the songs that we were talking about, too, of his previous band, The Pains of Being Pure at Heart, from the debut album, self-titled, Belong, Days of Abandon, Echo of Pleasure, so much good stuff. So, so much good stuff. I really love his work, Days of Abandon, such an amazing album. So, so many good songs on that album. Anyway, we are going to talk a lot about a lot of things. So stay tuned. You're going to want to tune in for this. You want to hear this stuff. I am going to do a product review of Funny Water. I am going to do a festival review of the Underground Music Showcase. There is a lot to break down here, so stay tuned for that. Okay, it is time for the product review, and here we go. So it is Funny Water, and Funny Water is an alcohol-infused water with a little flavor and no bubbles. I received two variety packs from them, And how I actually first discovered Funny Water is pretty funny, no pun intended. But yeah, I discovered them at the Pitchfork Music Festival 2023 when I was covering it in July. And I was like, this looks interesting. I'm curious what this is about. And it's not only the name of the beverage that made me curious, but it's also the cans. So the cans are all like one solid individual color each. And in the coloring, it just has like this beautiful tone to it. I don't know. Like the yellow is really pretty. The green has like a really nice look to it. It's something that you have to see for yourself. It's something that you have to check out for yourself. And that's on their website. It's just funnywater.com. And let's get more into the variety pack now. So on the variety packs, you receive six cans each. And I received the two variety packs. So technically I received 12 cans. 
and they were cool. They were really cool. Again, the cans are really cool. The packaging is awesome. So I received the first package, which is two blueberry acai and two ginger lemon, two jalapeno limes. And then for the second box, I received two watermelons, two citruses, and two cucumber mints. They were great. So the flavoring is really interesting because it tastes legitimately like water it actually tastes like water and then it also has like a very small hint a very tiny itty bitty hint of all six of those flavors that i mentioned again individually not in one can and you can just barely just a little bit taste you know the blueberry you can barely just a little bit taste the watermelon and so forth the one thing that i really appreciate about funny water as well is that the calories are so low and I'm getting older here you know I hate to admit it but I am getting older we all are getting older and I do look a little bit more at the calories now that I'm getting older just to make sure that you know I'm not intaking too too much so I'm looking here at the blueberry SEI again which I think might be my favorite by the way I just really love blueberry in general and I thought this one had the most distinct taste, probably. Um, Really good, really delicious. So the 80 calories, as I was mentioning, is on there. The total fat, zero. Saturated fat, zero. Uh, Trans fat, zero. Cholesterol, zero. Sodium is at 45 milligrams, which is 2% your value. And then the total carbohydrates, one gram. Dietary fiber, zero. And total sugars, zero. Protein, zero. You know, that's kind of the back of the can. That's about the facts of what we got going on here. I don't know what type of alcohol is in the can. I'm not sure if that's mentioned anywhere. At least I didn't see it, I guess. So I don't know. It's That's not really up front which, uh, what type of alcohol it is. So I guess that would be the only, you know, maybe recommendation I would say reconsider or something like that. But other than that, everything was great. It's very light. It's refreshing. It's gluten-free, which I am gluten-free, by the way, and good beverage. So there you have it, funny water. Okay, so that was my review of Funny Water. Now let's break into the Underground Music Showcase 2023. Here we go. So I played the UMS in 2018, and I played it in 2020, the Facebook live stream. And it was my absolute pleasure. I love the UMS. I have a very fond, very great memories of just being at the festival and being a part of the festival for many years and also getting to cover it as press just about every year except for last year. Yet last year I had some other obligations that I had to tend to, but I've been a part of the UMS since 2017, I think. So the Underground Music Showcase Denver was awesome this year. So on Friday, I got to see Levi W. Aaron Stereo was playing too. Oasis Stage, so awesome. Aaron Stereo rocks. And I know that she's really good friends with my pal, Mux Mule. So that was cool. Got to see Joe P. on guitar. That guy slays, man. That guy is awesome on guitar. Really love Joe P.'s work. Pompon Squad, of course, they did the song with Not a Surf popular and they absolutely did a number they did a great job and awesome performance yeah loved it 
Let's see, who else did we see? Rusty Steve at High Dive, another great solid set. And Wet Nights, just a great local Denver band. They've been rocking it for a while. And Dreamcast. Dreamcast has this very like video game kind of like, I don't know, ambient, yet like maybe a little bit of dancey at the same time vibe. Just a dreamy sort of synopsis sort of thing going on with them. And I thought it was great. UMS Friday, got to catch up with friends, got to have drinks, got to run around town and explore just getting to all the wildness, all the mischief, and going to Illegal Pete's, of course, for some burritos was delicious. And just, yeah, the whole festival, man, the whole environment is a lot of fun, and everyone there is great, and just so much love to the UMS. So let's get to Saturday. Saturday, I got to start off my day with Modern Leisure at a venue called HQ, and Modern Leisure... Oh my god, they're awesome, the front man of Modern Leisure. I got to meet him, and, you know, we've become friends since, and, yeah, he's he's awesome. He put on a really great show. It kind of reminded me of, like, Death Cab for Cutie, in a way, sort of-ish. After that, I saw Milky.Wave, which I love that name, by the way, .Wave, like a wave file. I, I think that's genius, but, yeah, just a really great DJ set at the Oasis stage. Oasis stage had, like, a lot of cool, like, artwork. They had beer pong going on, so just like random people and my friends too we hopped on the beer pong for a little bit they were giving away some beverages too which i thought was cool so sampling like you know some beverages try some stuff out there was like a little i think there's like a photo booth area just all awesome stuff really cool stuff neptune performed after that they played the main showcase stage they put on a great performance awesome work neptune i know that neptune is affiliated with my friend kyle hartman's record label and yeah i just thought it was cool seeing them sort of make their way up the ladder to play the main stage that's that's pretty sweet and then followed by that i saw wes watkins and wes put on such an awesome show man like he's like a legend in denver hitting that trumpet and just has like a very like dancey feel really connecting to the audience it was at the ums house which was a i think it's like an apartment building of some sorts that was converted into a venue for that day and i i loved it i absolutely loved it it was cool they had uh records at the bottom floor the stage was on the top floor and people were just spinning records and having fun with that. So I thought that was pretty sweet. I think it was called Vinyl Me, by the way, if anyone wants to look that up. And then I saw, who else? Colfax Speed Queen. They stole the show for me. I mean, they were objectively the best band at UMS, in my opinion. Colfax Speed Queen, local Denver band, just garage rock. They have kind of a spooky feel to them. And I mean that in the best sense ever. Just really loud, in your face, like punk garage spooky but a little hint of goth and yeah just awesome stuff callfax speed queen on spotify their music i listen to when i go running and just i don't know they're just good they're just a good band that's that's what i can say they're a good band and then i spent the rest of the night seeing weird touch weird touch is on instagram at weird touched and yeah i freaking love weird touch so much they weren't technically 
part of the UMS, I guess, but it was like an affiliate like festival thing this year or whatever. I, I know they played last year and it, it was basically the same thing. But regardless, they put on such a great, great, great performance. Nico and Matthew and Tyler Snow, all awesome people. Matthew owns the FM Boutique in Denver on South Broadway and I love it so much. You know, I lived in Denver for many years, so I have a connection there. And then Sunday, I saw Mux Mule at the Oasis stage. Mux Mule, my friend Brian, he's done stuff with Cartoon Network. He's toured with Pretty Lights, I'm pretty sure. And then he also, I think, has opened up for Tycho a few times. So he's done some pretty big stuff. His track, Oh Yeah, was played, which I love that track. Boom, boom, yeah. Really great track as well. Com Trues was to follow him afterwards. I love Com Trues. I love Com Trues. I'm a big Com Trues fan. So it was really cool to see him in person. And then who else did I see? I saw Crum and then I saw Ram at the UMS house. Really great weekend. Lots of love to UMS. Thank you so much for letting me cover the Underground Music Showcase as press. I highly recommend anyone and everyone to check out the Underground Music Showcase online. They're just undergroundmusicshowcase.com. You can learn more about it. Check out the festival next year. It's a really, really great experience. All right, so you just heard my review of Funny Water, Flavored Water with no alcohol and no bubbles, as well as my review of the Underground Music Showcase 2023. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, as always, guys, for tuning in. My name is James Richard Lane. If you have any questions, reach out to me on Instagram at James Richard Lane or Twitter, James Lane, Lane with two E's. Have a great week, and as always... Please support your local animal shelter. Goodbye.